This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. Almost everyone out there is hoping that there's some kind of return to normal by August, September. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Sports are getting back to business. And today, later on in the show, we're going to sit down with Paul Rabel. He is, of course, co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League. He's also going to be playing. So we're going to talk all about that. But first, guys, we got to look at some of the top stories of the week. It feels like the top, top story in many ways is are we actually going to be playing sports? We've seen a little bit of actual play, but some of the big professional leagues here in the United States, it feels like they are under threat here, Mike Lynch. What do you make of it? Well, I, I feel the same way. I feel there's an awful lot of pressure here, but I also feel that there's a danger lurking. There's a dark cloud, there's a storm cloud coming in somewhere, and... I don't see how basketball is going to make it. I don't see how football is going to make it. I think the, the four major teams, I think baseball has an outside chance. But they're, the, the, the thing that will threaten baseball is that they're not staying in a bubble. They get yeah. to go wherever they want to go when they leave practice and when they leave a home game. Um, and they can go out and wherever they want to go, and they can come back in the clubhouse and infect somebody in a day. Yeah, that to me is the big key uh bar i mean i'm a little bit more optimistic about the nba maybe than than lynch is what do you make of it well the nba they already had a landmine russell westbrook yeah he came in with COVID 19 now he says he's isolating obviously but he came into the bubble with it so yeah. that's all it takes and if this thing runs rampant who knows what the heck is going to happen now gary bettman with the nhl he says the bubble is going to be fine and and we'll be good to go I hope he is right because I, I love to see sports, but I, I just don't see how the teams are going to avoid any of this with COVID-19 running rampant out there. I have to say, I mean, I caught up with the CEO of Bundesliga International earlier this week for a TV special that's airing this weekend, quick plug on Bloomberg television. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was interesting to me to hear from this guy, Robert Klein, basically the Bundesliga they did it. They pulled it off. No fans. They had teams, you know, play in their home stadia. So check, check. Uh, they did get some positive tests, I believe, along the way. They also had a few people who had to isolate. They had one coach. You guys will get a kick out of this. So everybody is, you know, kind of bubbled in in their home markets. Uh, but he left his hotel to get some toothpaste and then came back and had to self-isolate. Um, <laughs> but it's just these sorts of things that you don't really think about that, that are unanticipated. I think the United States, though, Lynchy, is just in – we're in a different place when it comes to the virus. Well, it's it, it, the numbers come in and they're staggering every single day. States uh, with, with new highs, California, Florida, Arizona – 
I think about basketball. Now, now, we all know that the virus is spread through droplets. There's a lot of talking in basketball. Yeah. Watch out for the pick. Watch out for the pick. Weak side, weak side. There's a lot of – you talk a lot while you're playing. You don't just keep your mouth shut and play basketball. There's a lot of verbal communication, especially when you're playing defense. And so how do you stop the droplets from coming out? And, you know, my dad was my high school basketball coach, and we always played man-to-man -man defense, and he'd say to us, guys, I want to know what type of cologne your guy, the, the, the type of cologne the guy's wearing that you're covering by the end yeah. of the first quarter. That's how close I want you to him. And, and the same is applying right now to the NBA. I just don't see how they're going to pull it off. All right, so, Bart, talk to me about the NFL. You're a huge Detroit Lions fan. How confident are you about pro football? Because as of right now, and keep me honest here, guys, a couple preseason games have been canceled, but mm -hmm. at least on paper and at least publicly, they're saying season's going to go on, probably no fans, but maybe, uh, playing in individual markets, all systems go. I, I, I don't see how that happens. Well, they're dancing with all kinds of ideas. Some of the stadiums, they're saying, okay, if we're going to have a game, we can space it out yeah. to where if we had a 60,000-seat stadium, only 15,000 will be there for capacity. That's good if they can be there. First of all, we got to see how they can play the game. Again, this is the same problem with the NBA. When you're talking about a contact sport like that, the ultimate contact sport, and especially when you're on the O-line, you got guys just banging into each other. Right. I, I, I want to see uh, – I, I just don't see how this is going to happen. I, of course, again, I, I've got my fingers crossed, and I'm rooting for it, but I, I just don't see it. Well, every sport, it feels like Lynchy is moving toward this, you know, how do you shield the helmet? Mm -hmm. We're going to talk with Paul Rabel about that, I'm guessing, because I know lacrosse is thinking about this. And the NFL is thinking about it as well, basically, to combat exactly what you were talking about a minute ago with basketball, just the droplets. Well, Oakley already makes the shields that come down halfway down to the, uh, the face mask. They, they meet the top of the face mask right around the nose area. Now they're going to make one that goes down below uh, the lips right to the bottom of the chin, and they say they have some, some special plastic slits that allow the players to breathe but don't allow droplets to escape. Um, that would be kind of a big step. But, you know, in football, save for the quarterback, if he doesn't get sacked and maybe a couple wide receivers and a safety, you're probably looking at 16 people that are in a wrestling match every single play. And guys are talking a lot, especially there's always this, the center talks a lot. Uh, he's always yelling out, uh, yeah. you know, what the defense is, you know, and where's the mic, where's the Sam, where's the Willie, and, uh, you know, I, you, me, block, and... And, you know, there's a lot of verbal communication in football as well, especially the quarterback. He's, he's standing over. If he's up, up under center, you know, he is yelling and, and, and sending droplets out right to the nose. The nose guard's got to be, what, two yards away from oh, him? Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a problem here. Football has the luxury of time here. They have the luxury of time. They can wait to the very, very last yeah. minute uh, before they pull the trigger or make any type of adjustment in schedule just because of the timing of this pandemic. Well, and who knows? Maybe we'll see spring football because we know there's no XFL anymore. All right, Lynchy, last word to you. Um, I, I never thought that I would say these words in this order. Bill Belichick in a Subway <laughs> sandwich commercial. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've known him since he was here the first time when Bill Parcells was coaching. Um, I did a show with him for about uh, 13 years, 
and never saw him do any type of commercial whatsoever. He did a peanut butter and jelly uh, uh, show when he was coaching the Cleveland Browns. He showed how his, his mother made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for him. And that's the only time I've ever seen him do anything other than football. This is hilarious. The video is hilarious. The still shots are hilarious. There's a side-by-side -side with Forrest Gump sitting on a bench. Oh, my God. And I, I'm dying to find out what the angle of this is and what the punchline is. Subway, right. eat fresh. But we won't tell yeah. you where the Subway locations are because we keep everything <laughs> under hat with the Patriots. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's so many There's so many jokes that are going to come out around this. I can't wait. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Next on the show, we speak with co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League. Straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me at Lynchy WCVB. And I'm Jason Kelly. You can follow me at Jason Kelly News. We're here every week at this time and also via podcast. You can catch those when they drop on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. You are listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. And today we're speaking with a friend of the show, a friend of mine for sure, Paul Rabel, co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League, arguably, I think it's almost not a debate at this point, the best-known lacrosse player in the world has popularized the sport in a really meaningful way. Also a very serious businessman. He and his brother Mike have stood up this league, and they are headed back to play a special tournament next week in Utah. That's where we find Paul here. And PR, it's great to hear your voice. I said that when you first came on the line. How are you? What's going on? Yeah, I appreciate that generous intro, as always, Jason. You don't have to do that. And, uh, and hello to the mics on the other side. It's, it's uh, you know, I consider Bloomberg kind of our, our family of origin, at least uh, when it comes to the PLL. We made our, our first announcement back in uh, in October of 2018, and then yeah. you know, subsequently went on air, television, radio. We talked to podcasts and, and everything about the league, and it, it's it's kind of a core ingredient for myself and my co-founders, my older brother Mike, of, of transparency. We think it's unique and part of this uh, romanticism of, of entrepreneurship since the Shark Tank age, and um, we, we, we've seen some positive results. Um, so I appreciate you having us on and, uh, and continuing to talk about this. Uh, I'm doing well. Um, we'll find out how well everyone's doing. Actually, it's, it's, it's a good time because I'm in Utah. Our, our training camp begins this weekend. All of the players on each of the seven teams have now completed their first stage of COVID testing from home using telemedicine, and all of our ops team, as well as NBC's production, have finished theirs as of yesterday. Uh, our ops team that has arrived today to begin setup um, at Real Salt Lake's facilities, they were, uh, a, at least the internal ops team, were a, a, a 15 of 15. We haven't disclosed that yet, but 100% uh, all negative tests, so... That was a good indicator. We're we're like all leagues, and I think businesses that are that are um, approaching a, a resume to play or resume to business, and uh, in, under the assumption that there will be positive tests. Um, so we built out dozens of different scenario plans around it. So it's it's an uneasy time, but I'm I'm thankful for good health. Are you guys using the the bubble format like the the NBA? Is is that something you guys are looking yeah. at? Can you explain yeah, that? Yeah, I think that, sure. The, the bubble has, has, has been popularized. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy way to, to digest 
what the leagues are doing. So we uh, we on May 5th, I believe it was, maybe it was May 6th, uh, I went on the Today Show, which I was uh, shaking in my boots uh, as we were the first <laughs> team, team, team sports league to make the announcement of a quarantine fanless solution. Uh, we didn't use the terminology bubble, uh, but and, and we're also not – you know, sitting here saying that we were the uh, we were the only ones to come up with this concept. We were just best positioned to, and that's why we were first to announce it, Michael, um, a couple of months ago, because of our advantage in having fewer numbers. So we have seven teams. We expanded to a seventh after a successful first year with our original six, and uh, and and we felt like our all-in number at 300 presented unique opportunities for us to identify campuses around the country that we could do a full-on takeover, where everyone enters the site. At the same time, in our case, you have to pass two COVID tests. So one before you travel. We've chartered planes for players all over the country. So they do their telemedicine test with a doctor on the, on the other side of the screen. If that passes, which we have a 72-hour turnaround, we're actually using the same um, analysis group in Salt Lake City as the MLB is, which is helpful for us because we're playing in Utah, so we get a quick return and we do tests on site. And then when everyone passes that and moves through travel when you arrive we have what's called 17 social groups but it's essentially uh, a social group as a team or another group of responsibility from an op standpoint and they uh they are then you know basically sectioned off and tested uniquely and quarantined uniquely for that second test turnaround once that takes place to your question michael everyone enters the bubble it's basically sealed no one else is allowed in no one's allowed out there are two more tests to take place just to identify uh, the, the low possibility that someone could have contracted the virus during travel and passed the first two, just because this thing's so cryptic and, and the science is imperfect around COVID testing and medical right. protocol, but we felt like we got it right. Paul, uh, let me ask you about this. this. is a great opportunity for, for you in this, in this whole concept in this league because obviously the Olympics aren't being held this summer and NBC has... Uh, partnered up with you and they've got a great platform with NBC Sports Network which I think really gave a, a huge boost to the National Hockey League when, when, when that platform mm -hmm. was launched. Do you see this as the same type of opportunity for yourself in the Premier League? Definitely, Michael. So we were out building the business back in 2017 and having conversations with all of the major networks and even the tech platforms as we weren't sure what Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google were going to do with sports rights. But the, the, the three that we were discerning between were, were NBC, ESPN, and Amazon. Um, and NBC has a, uh, a great reputation and track record for taking either nascent stage sports properties or you know reintroducing and revitalizing legacy leagues like the NHL. Um, and so sitting with Pete Bavacqua, who's the president of NBC Sports, and John Miller and, and the entire production team there, it felt like a great fit at the time, and we had a successful first year. And then to your call out, as we were trying to develop a solution that stood in front of having to cancel the season, which, frankly, in April, most of our leagues were looking at the, the prime possibility of such, we were looking at the quarantine model, we were looking at the health and safety, and then we were looking at the timing. And so end of July and early August worked for two reasons. One, we knew through the government uh, relations team at the White House that there would be point-of-care testing available nationwide by the time middle of June came. Uh, we're continuing to see testing improve on a day-to-day -day in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, so that was helpful because no league wanted to take tests for asymptomatic uh, kind of protocol away from symptomatic citizens in the country. So that was one. And then two is that the Olympics were postponed to 2021, and that same window is where we've landed, which is July 25th to August 9th. 
So we went proactively to Pete Pavacqua and his team and said, hey, if we can be the first to come up with a solution as you guys wait for NASCAR and the NHL and the PGA Tour, can you give us these windows? And we'd basically like to, to shift our, our June through September into that compact space. So they did, and what we have is 20 games in 16 days. 14 of the 20 games are on television. Our first eight, our first two are on NBC, the mothership, the broadcast network. And so uh, I know you guys have talked about this a lot with reviewing startup leagues like the XFL and AAF and how the ratings really boom when you're on broadcast network and back-to-back games. And, and that's what we have in a, in a really concentrated model. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Premier Lacrosse League co-founder Paul Rabel. Much more on what it's going to be like in the bubble. The implications, as we've been talking about, for the sport of lacrosse. It's a pivotal moment in many ways. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me at LynchyWCBB. And download the show to hear even more of this interview with Paul Rabel. It's our extended version. Catch that wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Jason Kelly. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. Alongside me, Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. And via phone in Utah, getting ready for the tournament that starts next week into training camp, Paul Rabel, co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League. So, Paul, I feel like every time we talk, every time I check you out on Twitter, you've got a deal, and uh, a deal announced today. We're speaking uh, on Thursday ahead of the weekend. DraftKings. That's right. Yeah, we're really excited uh, about this partnership uh, for a couple of reasons. One, when we set out and built the league, we knew that – it would be paramount that we capture a network deal, which we talked about in the previous segment with NBC. And that, too, when you think about commercialization and even just kind of like the ability to capture net new fans, it comes down to sports betting. We've seen it in Europe for decades, and now we're seeing it more in the U.S. as national governance has been pushed over to the state from a legislation level, and we have 22 states that have legalized it and another dozen that are continuing to push, try to push bills through. So out of the gates, before we even played our first season, we were sitting down with regulators um, and gaming regulators to try to figure out the process. And we brought on Sarah Slane, Sarah Slane who's um, you know an, a, a well-known advisor in in, uh, in in the betting community. And we were able to turn it on this offseason. And I think it was a byproduct or a silver lining even of the global pandemic where yeah. all sports were shut down. And then all of a sudden your gaming operators didn't have anything to, to play in market. So they're more receptive to having expedited conversations. We flipped it on in May. Then we began the conversations around the official sports betting partner. DraftKings was a great fit for us because they have uh, the, the market share over all the competitors. I love the, the technology. Um, they have the ability to not only offer uh, live markets, the big three markets, prop markets, but also the daily fantasy. So as we continue to build our relationship with DraftKings beyond year one, um, uh, I, I would look for uh, the PLL to really stand out, and I think this initiative help us capture more fans. No, you know how I feel about gambling. It's one of my major food groups. So, <laughs> I, so <laughs> it must be something special because I think outside of baseball, uh, you guys are going to be it, and uh, and you guys pretty much have the market. Uh, we're trying to get uh, people to gamble. And I'm uh, sure a lot of casinos are happy about that, too, because they've been losing money in the past. So you guys kind of have an open field here, forgive the pun. Yeah, yeah, that's a great pun. Uh, 
you know, the, the, the number, the, the sport that was being bet on the most um, in April and May was uh, like Russian ping pong, I believe, was something like that. So, yeah, um, yeah people are always fine. And they were betting on, on esports. And people are always trying to find a way to incentivize their live programming viewership. You know, the, the comedians historically have said, if you can't bet on it, it's not a sport. So I remember us thinking about that quite regularly. And, uh, and I believe in some cases there's some truth to uh, your kind of your, your, your general sports fan who may be more passive around allegiance to a particular game. So uh, we're excited about it. And I think it actually works really well with this model, given that we have a tournament. So our style of tournament is much like a World Cup, where the first week is group play. Each team plays each other for seeding, and then the second week is single elimination tournament. So much like a March Madness, 20 games in 16 days, you're jumping in it, you're following day to day, so you're more likely to quickly learn as you bet, and I think it, it, it's a perfect match. Paul, uh, you have the dual uh, role of being a player and uh, also the, the co-founder of the league. And for lack of a better term, I'm going to call you the commissioner of, of the league as okay. well. So I'm, 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 so I'm trying to visualize. Our VP of lacrosse would argue with that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to visualize Roger Goodell playing like middle linebacker for the Green Bay Packers and also being commissioner of the National Football League. How do you, yeah. split, how do you split your time, stay in shape, uh, uh, stay at the top of uh, level of your performance and also run the league. Yeah. Well, you have to be robotic, which, uh, it, you know, can be unhealthy personally. Um, but, you know, this is, uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of a kind of, I suppose, middle-aged sprint in my career. And I enjoy thoroughly the, the business side as I do the, the com competitive side. Um, I think a lot about kind of the sport that has successfully commercialized and professionalized outside of the big four over the last 15 years, and it's UFC. And when people often ask me, like, hey, what are you trying to do with the PLL? I go, exactly what the UFC did to MMA. They professionalized, they commercialized, they used new tech, new media, they told the stories of their athletes, and they built a major business. And that's what we're trying to do with lacrosse. It's been around for centuries and played by Native Americans. And I think uh, as it's as it's made its way through the NCAA and now internationally with 63 countries, like this sport has product market fit. It just needed professionalism and the commercial opportunity that, that's brought to market by hard operators. Now, for me, we have a number of policies in place. So we have bifurcated the organization. We have our lacrosse ops. So I mentioned our VP of ops and VP of lacrosse ops, uh, Rob Sanzillo. He basically runs all player relations and the ins and outs of the leagues, overseas officials. As part of our betting relationship, not only, as I mentioned, regulators, but AGOs, is we had to work with an integrity services provider so that they felt confident in greenlighting a partnership, and that is uh, Genius Sports. So integrity services hover over me. Um, our, our lacrosse ops team hovers over me. I try to break off every day for a couple of hours to train, and I think uh, going back to that UFC analogy, what Dana White has done as the face of the UFC, much like Joe Rogan, to drive attention. The only difference, as I try to think about social the way they do, the only difference, and outside of the way we perhaps communicate, uh, um, is uh, is that they're not in the octagon and I'm on the field. But I think we're seeing a, a modern age of like the entrepreneurs just being in front of the camera as much as the talent or athletes. We're going to continue this conversation with Paul Rabel, of course, Premier Lacrosse League co-founder, and as Lynchy just pointed out, also one of the league's top players, straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Barr Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me at LynchyWCVB. And download the show to hear even more of this interview. It's our extended version. Catch that wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Let's continue our conversation with Premier Lacrosse League co-founder and player Paul Rabel. So, PR, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned in an earlier part of our conversation the social strategy. I feel like anybody who is watching your league and has watched it, either through the eyes of a journalist, through the eyes of a business person, and maybe most importantly through the eyes of a fan, your social strategy has been comprehensive to say the least. I've had the pleasure of going to your offices. I mean, you have teams and teams and teams of people who are really focused on that. Why? What have you learned about social media in terms of driving the narrative around this league? Well, I think this is the longer segment, right? So yep. it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to uh, it's a lot to discuss. I, I think at a at a macro level, though, the reason why we're seeing more intelligent and kind of robust capital pour into sport is that decades ago it was widely considered a vanity play for retired billionaires. Now we're seeing uh, venture capitalists and private equity shops starting to come into sports because of its enterprise value. And, and what I was thinking through recently, Jason, is, um, you know, as we've seen the proliferation of social media, and uh, I think the, the, the role reversal of how to view a publicly traded company due to what Amazon has done and taking their profits and reinvesting them into further growth, and that's shifting kind of the dividend structure of what traditional shareholders look for, yet still seeing skyrocketing valuations, is that a lot of people are trading on attention. And attention is the most important thing that a business can capture. We used to build products first and then go find the audience. Now we create an audience and then sell a product. And in sports, there's no better way to build fandom and community than than competitive play that has been around for centuries and uh, going back to the way that you engage your audience. And I think with Modern tools like social media, when we incepted the, the, the PLL, it, it was very much around the lines of, hey, the most important thing is, is our public comms, and that's going to live in, in three areas. It's, gonna, it's going to be your traditional comms, so how are we approaching press? How are we telling our story? It's going to be in the distribution of our games with our network partner like NBC, and then regularly up to our control and our direction and our strategic and sophisticated insight, how we're going to communicate through all social media platforms with our fans and how are we going to grow that audience. And uh, all of the business and the revenue streams we've talked about and we can continue to talk about, I think come back to your content and why we're living in this content to commerce age. And that's why it's so important to us. And I think it's equally as important to the fan that they get action-packed content on their mobile device. So it's it's very uh, very synergistic. One thing I worry about, in this COVID-19 world that we're in today involves youth participation and youth sports. How do we navigate through something like this to encourage more youth players into lacrosse or any other sport for that matter? Yeah, that's a great question, Michael. So I think about lacrosse and the barriers to enter. And when I was first introduced to the game when I was 12 years old, I was playing rec sports, and my neighbor gave me his backup stick, and and then we were able to get backup equipment for my cousin who had walked onto a team and he was much older than me. 
and we would go to play it again sports, and that's how it was, because much like hockey and golf, it's, it's an expensive sport to play with all the equipment. And then I think about football, and well, football is an equipment sport, so, so why did that take off at the youth level? And, and it's because the, the equipment was subsidized locally, and, and I think even at a city and, and state level, depending uh, on the jurisdiction, for rec football. And that hasn't been the case for those sports. And I, and I, I thought about it with our strategy team around how we can engage not only our NGB, which is U.S. Lacrosse, and, and even the USOC, now that we have provisional recognition and others, to think about youth participation differently. Um, now, there are, there's like health and safety around youth equipment and such, and especially as we see this global pandemic around the spread of germs. But, um, you know, the biggest barriers for, for youth participation in an equipment sport is the cost of goods. So, so that's number one. And then number two, I think, is prevalent for all sports, is coaching. And uh, we've seen a, a slow rise that, and I say slow, but some of us may think it as fast of the MLS. They've been around for 25-plus years. They have the back of, of, the, of the global game in the World Cup in particular, which was the canary in the coal mine opportunity for some in a positive way when they acquired the rights to the World Cup. Um, and, and for domestic rights and broadcast rights. And that game is huge, right? There's 4 billion people that play soccer. But the coaching in the U.S., despite our athletes, has widely been considered the deficit in competition at the international level. So there's coaching that can help not only from a skill acquisition, but coaching from a mentorship standpoint. And I think as, as, as we see not only the, the uh, you know, kind of the other kind of larger, I think more important, uh, takeaway from the last three and a half months around uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, social good and facing social injustices and looking at sport as a vehicle to uh, talk about but also educate and, and, and lead to further change, as Nelson Mandela would often say, uh, it starts with good coaching. So coaching is not only just about skill acquisition, but it's also about good mentorship and leadership outside the home. Um, so when I think about youth sports, that, that, those are the two things that come to mind in, in ways that the PLL hopefully can, can further impact our game. Tell me about your foundation and where, where are the tentacles of this foundation uh, uh, most prevalent? Yeah, so I started the Rabel Foundation back in 2011, and it was when I was really excelling in my career professionally and you know, building a number of social media platforms that were generating audiences that I could communicate with and share my story with. And that story was that you know, I grew up with learning differences. Sport was really impactful for me to help me get through lower confidence thresholds in the classroom um, and, and teach me a lot of life lessons. And as I kind of reflected back through my life and the life of those that are close to me that also experienced similar learning difference challenges is that, um, you know, without sport, I'm not sure where I would be. So we first started the foundation to help assist students with specific learning differences, in particular dyslexia. Um, and there's some nuance there because it's, it's legislated, again, at a state level of uh, public school education that can uh, specifically uh, tutor uh, different learning differences and, and actually like shift the classroom model based on the learning difference versus just putting all learning difference students in one classroom. So what that often leads to is families having to seek uh, private education that helps with a bespoke learning model due to uh, something like dyslexia. So we started a, a scholarship fund to aid in, in, in that process. And then off the back of it was my personal experience in lacrosse. So we helped build lacrosse programs there. 
um, you know, kind of the interesting tie-in and uh, back to the PLL is annually we host a fundraiser, which generates most of our proceeds that go back to our school partners. Uh, that was scheduled for March 12th. And on March 11th, I believe, uh, the World Health Organization announced the global pandemic. That's when the NCAA canceled the spring season and the NBA indefinitely canceled their season. Um, and we had to then postpone our event. And I was caught in New York. I flipped my flight to L.A. And I've been in L.A. since uh, rebuilding the PLL's model. And so, Paul, I do wonder, you know, as we wrap up this conversation, from a personal perspective, you know, as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, I mean, how has this all been for you? And I ask it in from two fronts. I mean, one, as, you know, someone who is running a league, helping helping run a league amid a global pandemic. But I also know from getting to know you over the years, you are extremely uh, – it is extremely important big issues around social justice, as, as you've alluded to. I do wonder uh, what you've been thinking and feeling uh, over the last couple months. Yeah. Well, it's really hard. It's, it's uh, fulfilling to be able to work alongside someone as, uh, as talented as my older brother is our CEO and has as much experience as he does because I feel myself growing uh, with my business experience and business acumen on a day-to-day. And, and, that, and that kind of leans toward business management and quality process management, and, and that's exciting because it, 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 it's very similar to sport and coaching and leadership. Um, and I mentioned Nelson Mandela earlier, who was, you know, kind of famously one of my favorite quotes saying sports has the power to change the world. Um, as we've talked about social media and kind of the growth of, of the athlete brand uniquely and the voice of the athlete being recognized far beyond, uh, shut up and dribble is, uh, is, is that we're at this really unique intersection that, that Nelson Mandela, I think would have appreciated even more and that sport can, influence change and sport and athletes should be able to stand for what they believe in and uh, fans should be able to bifurcate that should they want to and just focus on watching competitive play or also feel inspired to listen or even dissent and uh, I think for a long time sport has been uh, kind of proportioned as as a circus or like kind of entertainment theater and uh, and just like we're seeing in entertain- entertainment theater and celebrities around the world is like they have platforms and they're people, too, that want to talk about things that are important to them. And, and for us, having black players in our league, having a lot of black lacrosse players across the world and black athletes and the black communities, I think it's really important that as leaders in sport that we acknowledge um, not only the movement that has taken place, but, uh, you know, kind of the gut-wrenching moments that have existed in our country for over 400 se- for four centuries. And, uh, and I think the ability to build a voice and have a platform and communicate with an audience also means that you should do so respectfully and, and with courage and, um, and I, I think be comfortable and allowed to, to speak your truth. Now, going back to the last thing I'll say is going back to our our conversation around me being a co-founder and an athlete is one thing that I struggle with is uh, I have personal views and I, I share those often on my social um, and a lot of, uh, and it's unique because there, there's no other sports league that, that athlete uh, also uh, is a co-founder of the league. Like you don't see Adam Silver or Roger Goodell uh, tweeting or posting on Instagram about black lives matter. And, uh, and I think like the, the, that impacts the public perception 
uh, from a number of ways. And a lot of this is largely out of our control. So what I try to remind myself is, is like fall back on your core values, what's important to you. And I bring that up because our league position, and we said this six weeks ago when we put our first press release out, after the George Floyd murder was at Black Lives Matter, and we were saddened, and this is what we're going to do two weeks after we put together our action steps, what we were instituted for the PLL, acknowledging voting days nationally and locally as holidays for our employees, acknowledge Juneteenth as a holiday, and then we were going to give our, our players the ability to peacefully protest and demonstrate their support of BLM, the movement, the humanitarian movement. It's been highly politicized since, unfortunately, um, but as number of leagues and athletes and, and entertainers and businesses have said, is that like we have to have the courage to be able to uh, delineate certain political issues like government funding toward police departments, whether you're for or against it, or somewhere in between. Which I think in in all issues there's there should be more in between. Um, is that at the core of this is Black Lives Matter is about Black people mattering in this world where they have unfortunately been subjugated to more than any other group of people in the United States. And, uh, and they need to be mattered exclusively and focused on exclusively in this moment. Ten years ago, the moniker, uh, maybe a little bit longer with UEFA, was end racism. Racism connotates all colors. And like right now, all colors matter. All lives matter. We're not saying they don't. But like, this is about the black community. And that's why I believe and why our league stands with the Black Lives Matter movement, as do a lot of leagues right now. And just, again, having to be very focused and articulate around what we stand for when we say that. Paul Rabel, always good to talk to you. You're always so thoughtful. And I really, I, I will say uh, here publicly, I really admire what you've done. Uh, it's been a, a real pleasure for me to get to know you. Uh, over the years and to watch this grow. Best of luck uh, as you get into this unprecedented tournament. I mean, nobody thought we were going to be here uh, for sure. So we know you're going to be playing. We know you're going to be running the whole show with your team. So uh, good luck. It's nice to hear your voice. Thanks again for having me, Jason. It's great to hear you guys. And, and thanks to both mics. It's, uh, it's really meaningful that, that I get the opportunity to, to share our message on, on the platform that you guys have built for a long time. So look forward to talking again soon. All right. Peace Good luck, man. Love, Paul. Thank you, buddy. Thank, thank you, Paul. Okay. Appreciate it. So quick takeaway, guys. I mean, obviously, I, I showed my biases there. I, I'm a Paul Rabel fan. I mean, I just, I really have a lot of admiration for, for what he's done. He's a real guy. He's a serious athlete. And I think has stood himself up as a real businessman, too. I was going to talk about the sport angle of the sports betting, but then in the last segment, uh, he hit very close to home when he talked about uh, the the movements that's going on today uh, in the, around the world, for that matter, not just here in the United States, with the George Floyd uh, death and and others, and uh, it it just hits home, and uh, you know it. There's the newsman side of me where obviously when I'm on the air, I'm, I'm talking about the news and we bring all sides. When the microphones are off and I, I'm just sitting on the couch and I'm, I'm having a, a beer, it, it all rattles in my head. And, and, and Paul Rabel just kind of brought it home for me. 
I'll tell you what, it's one of the most intelligent, well-rounded interviews uh, I've ever listened to or participated in. Um, where do I start with the takeaways? How about the whole thing? Um, but I thought that the part where he was talking about his foundation and getting equipment for some kids that can't afford it and also giving scholarships to kids with special needs. Uh, now, he told us that he had a le learning disability, which affected his self-confidence when he was a youngster, and sports helped him crawl out of that shell and give him a little sense of self-worth and self-confidence. And he started this foundation while he was playing, I think, for, yeah. the, for the Boston Cannon. So a lot of young people are so absorbed in themselves, they just can't see be, uh, beyond uh, their own lives. And to me, that, that impressed me the most, that he could see that there was uh, people out there that he could help and he could affect and, and he could change their lives. Yeah, he's a special guy for sure. I, I've been to an event uh, for his foundation uh, here in New York, and it, you see this whole different side of him. You see him with his parents and his brother and uh, a whole community that, that he has affected. And I think it is, it's hard to overstate for people who follow lacrosse how big this guy is. You know, if you are in the world of lacrosse, it, he is he's Michael Jordan. I, I mean, straight up. In, in many ways, um, I mean, he's he's almost this interesting combination of like Jordan and Ali to some extent, because he is very, as you just heard, very socially conscious. He thinks about this stuff all the time. And Lynchy, as you pointed out, and by the way, he started the league. <laughs> so, it's yeah. just, you know, and he's got so, you know, the Dana White comparison, too. So it's like. He's just this that you almost have to describe him in these Hollywood terms of, you know, he's this meets this meets this. So um, really interesting conversation. Uh, I'm glad we were all able to do it together. Absolutely. Uh, I was absolutely thrilled and very much impressed. I remember him when he played here in Boston for the Cannons. He was a spectacular player and, uh, and a great goal scorer. I knew he was a great player at John Hopkins. I just didn't know him uh, that well as the person. Yeah. And, uh, Today, I did, and, and I'm, uh, only one word, W-O-W, -W. wow. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Well, I know you guys have been waiting for this. It's time Always. for the number of the week. All right, <laughs> I... I embarrassed myself last week so i hopefully i can get better this time tell me all right yeah i was laughing last week this week it is i'm gonna put it this way up to thirty thousand. up to thirty thousand. um oh was this the number of fans who were allowed to watch the nascar race ding 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 man what a redemption what a comeback <laughs> What that a is, comeback, Lynchy! That is the comeback of the year. First that of all, it took, good. It, it, it took guts to go out on the limb and be first. Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> see, the strategy here is to let the other guy go first. That's right. That's right. You know, and make a fool of himself and then yeah. jump in with something, you know, sensible. Anybody who was, wants to see that in action can just listen to our podcast from last week when we talked about shares of the Braves. Yeah. All right. So this is a big deal. These were fans actually watching yep. a NASCAR race. Actually, this was, yes, very big deal because this was the largest crowd since the uh, pandemic uh, that was allowed to see uh, a sporting event here in the United States. And it was at uh, the Bristol Motor Speedway in uh, Bristol, Tennessee. Usually the all-star event is held at Charlotte, but this year they held it at Bristol and the fans were spaced out in the crowd. You could see it if you, if you looked at it. 
and uh, we're going to see what's going to happen. It's I hope uh, this is a big plus, but uh, cross your fingers, guys. You know, I was going to say it was the number of attempts to implode the Silver Dome back in <laughs> Michael Barr's hometown. I was so proud of the Silver Dome for standing up. We would have had four Super Bowls by now, man. If that if if the Lions had that much spirit in the Silver Dome, it took three implosions to get that thing down. Although that, it's funny to think about, it. it's like be more like the Silver Dome. Why can't you be strong like the Silver Dome? It doesn't quite. Ra- I can't really see Drew Brees sort of integrating that into one of his uh, chants down uh, down in New Orleans. All right, good number of the week. I'm gonna. I, I'm just gonna do a victory lap here in uh, Westchester County around my uh, big win on number of the week. Feel good about that. Well, it'll stand up for at least a week. Exactly. Exactly. Until the next one. Until I boff it the next one. Uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll include pie in the next number. <laughs> You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time, plus online wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me at LynchyWCBB. And I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. Thanks so much for joining us. Tune in next week when we speak with another of the biggest names in the world of money and sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs>